the America's National Parks podcast. It's sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean is a proud partner of the National Park Foundation. L.L. Bean and NPF share a belief that every community should have the opportunity and resources to experience the joy of the outdoors together. Through this partnership, they're not only helping people find their parks, they're helping protect, restore, and improve parks across the U.S. If it's outside, L.L. Bean is all in. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. Camping will be forever intrinsically tied with the National Park idea. It was, in fact, a camping trip that helped inspire President Theodore Roosevelt to set aside 18 national monuments, 55 bird sanctuaries and game preserves, and add some 148 million acres of national forest. In May of 1903, Roosevelt camped in Yosemite with John Muir, where the two discussed the idea of protecting wild lands for the future and forever. You can listen to that story on our past episode entitled Near Roosevelt and Yosemite, a camping trip that changed the world. I'll link to it in the description. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the America's National Parks podcast. On last week's episode, we took a look at early road planning and design in the parks. And we're continuing with the theme this week by looking at the history of National Park campgrounds. You might not realize it, but so much of modern campground design, whether it be state and federal parks or privately ran facilities, was developed through the National Park Service throughout the 20th century. And now the Park Service is taking a fresh look at campground design, not to reinvent them or turn them into gaudy spaces for glamping. The new National Park Service second century campground strategy is all about making camping spaces more user-friendly, efficient, and inclusive, all while respecting the natural resources of the given park. But to understand where we're going, we have to know where we came from. Here's Abigail Trebu. years of the National Park Service, parks had few campgrounds, as the earliest travelers primarily used train travel to reach cross-country destinations. As use of the automobile developed following World War I, National Park campground construction resembled unofficial roadside camps across the country. These campgrounds had minimal site planning. They were just relatively level areas with access to water and proximity to roadways. The earliest campgrounds looked like a tadpole, with a short gravel roadway, the tail, leading to an open clearing. Campsites were informal and undeveloped. Drivers could park beside the road or pull off further into the camp area, which often had a pit toilet in the center. Campers placed tent shelters pretty much anywhere they preferred. These early campgrounds were overused and unsanitary with few rules, causing negative impacts to soils, vegetation, and trees, causing the National Park Service to develop solutions to campsite problems. 
two key concepts arose that still exist today. The landscape should be preserved and construction should harmonize with nature. In 1914, just before the Park Service was created to run the now 40-year-old National Park idea, Mark Daniels was appointed superintendent of Yosemite, but had a larger role as landscape engineer to the parks. He created a development approach for park accommodations, including permanent camps with access to food from dining halls and tent camping where visitors could prepare their own meals. He devised the park village concept that included roads, lodges, campgrounds, dining halls, camp stores, gas stations, and other associated infrastructure that would guide NPS standards in the coming decades. Following Daniels, Charles Punchard was appointed as the first landscape engineer for the National Park Service. Punchard's time was short, running from just 1918 until his death in 1920. However, he spent a great deal of time on campground design. Punchard worked on schemes for overall park development, building placement, and reviewing concessionaires' plans. He believed in the notion that key scenic qualities should be preserved in park landscapes, including natural topography and drainage, important trees, and other natural features like rock outcroppings. Campground development began to be looked at as part of a larger approach to park design, with Punchard focused on developing permanent campgrounds and rehabilitating existing camping areas. By 1919, he created the basic standards for NPS campgrounds to be carried forward. Access to a drinking water supply, sanitary toilet facilities, screening from park roads and areas for roadways, parking, and living space. Living spaces included an established cooking area to reduce fire hazards, tables, and seating. Punchard encouraged the concept of a campground community building containing bathing and laundry facilities and, for larger campground operations, camp stores and even post offices. The community building would not only contain basic services but would become the social, cultural, and educational hub of the campground for ranger naturalist programs. After Punchard's death, housekeeping cabins and camps were introduced, becoming popular with auto-tourists. By 1927, Thomas Vent was in charge of the recently formed National Park Service Landscape Division, located in San Francisco. Staffed with professional designers, the office created guidance for the director and superintendents for park design, development, and management setting in motion an era of park master planning and a landscape preservation ethic for the decades that followed. Beginning in 1933 with Depression-era relief funding and work programs, the National Park Service had the means to implement master plans begun in the late 1920s. New Deal programs allowed building and development within parks to take place at an unprecedented speed, carried out by the Civilian Conservation Corps and funded by the federal government in order to put people back to work. To keep up with the design demand, Vent increased his staff park master plans as envisioned and executed by Vent and his team included the location of campgrounds, their layout and relationship to park roads, trails, and developed areas. 
Structures were created in the rustic style of architecture and the naturalistic style of landscape architecture. Thousands of campgrounds were built according to this philosophy. Elements of rustic design focused on the use of native materials, rugged proportions, and naturalistic informal sites. To provide screening, campgrounds were typically located in forested or vegetated areas. The Meineke system, created by Dr. E.P. Meineke, a plant pathologist, was applied as the design template. Meineke's guidance was in direct response to earlier campground mistakes centered on disorganized placement of automobiles, tents, and walking trails. Meineke believed the greatest damage done to natural resources was from automobiles and focused his efforts to create campgrounds and campsites that would protect natural features while creating an outdoor home for visitors. Meineke's guidance included instructions for selecting campground sites with good soils that could support tree growth and avoid compaction. He assumed that most campers did not know how to take care of the natural environment around them, so he believed that careful planning and a minimum number of signs, but with barriers and other infrastructures, would guide behavior on where to be and where not to go. Part of this infrastructure included the design of individual sites that were similar in size with the same level of advantages and features. Meineke's typical 1930s campground resembled a compound leaf with a two-way gravel road as the stem and branches that led to one-way gravel loops. Parking spaces were angled in the direction of travel. Each site, approximately 10 feet wide and 15 feet long, was delineated by rock barriers or whole logs. Campsites were located near each parking spur, slightly further from the road, where a 12 by 12 foot open area would contain a rustic log picnic table, a stone fire pit, and a space for pitching a tent. A 1930s campground commonly offered 100 to 250 campsites, each nestled within a canopy of larger trees and buffered by ground cover vegetation providing privacy between sites. A system of trails threaded the campsites together and led to shared services, including restrooms with flush toilets in convenient but discreet locations. A community campfire circle or amphitheater, water spigots, and trash collection areas. Larger campgrounds were planned with additional shared services, such as community buildings for evening programs community kitchens, or cook shelters. Architects like Herbert Meyer and Cecil Dottie helped define the NPS approach to rustic structure design located in campgrounds and across park villages. Following Meineke's design recommendations, Meyer created a complementary set of guidance for rustic architecture that defined the 1930s and the work of the Civilian Conservation Corps. Meyer recommended that buildings should harmonize with the surrounding environment, but be secondary to that landscape. He recommended that buildings should also be in harmony with one another in materials, form, and size. He recommended the avoidance of straight lines, the use of native stone and log materials, and that those materials should be in scale with a larger landscape. Lower-pitched roofs and strong horizontal elements were used. Colors tended toward natural tans and browns, which blended with the ground and surrounding vegetation. The Civilian Conservation Corps worked at an astounding rate. The campgrounds they built were hugely popular and garnered support from a generation of campers drawn to the national park concept. 
These campgrounds, however, were not available to all. Campgrounds were typically used less by people of color, and some were racially segregated. As World War II began, staffing and visitation quickly declined in national parks. The Civilian Conservation Corps was decommissioned in 1942, and the National Park Service began to consolidate positions into regional offices. With less field time available, designers were less familiar with park sites and specific needs. Work continued but lacked the craftsmanship of the pre-war days. Many campgrounds fell into disrepair due to lack of funding, maintenance, and use. Water lines corroded, masonry features were storm-damaged, trees fell, vegetation recolonized, campsites eroded, and wood features rotted. When visitation rebounded after the war, these 1930s rustic campgrounds were in a severely deteriorated condition. At the end of World War II, Park Service Director Newton Drury called for a new program to address the backlog of projects that had occurred during the war. He called for the control of visitation that increasingly destroyed natural features and parks. He called for the removal of concessionaires and to create a solution for continued growth and expansion of campgrounds. What followed, named the Mission 66 program, under the direction of Director Conrad Wirth, was far larger than Drury's initial request and expanded park infrastructure beyond anything yet built. Mission 66 was a capital investment campaign providing $2 billion for infrastructure over 10 years, culminating in the 50th anniversary of the Park Service in 1966. Existing campgrounds were expanded to increase their capacity, others were built new, and some were relocated. In 1955, the National Park Service had approximately 12,000 campsites and anticipated a need to more than double that number by 1966. Campgrounds prescribed or altered by the Mission 66 program were executed following the tenets of modernism, overlaid under the principles of the Meineke system. There was a shift from the picturesque and handcrafted to the design of landscapes for human use, with a tie to mass production. Mission 66 structures, while constructed differently and with different materials, still prioritized sensitive setting in the landscape, taking advantage of topography and natural features to screen and blend with park landscapes. Conrad Worth hoped to use park infrastructure, including campground design and placement, to localize, limit, and channel park use. Structures furnishing circulation systems and signs attempted to provide utility, durability, and economy as their first priorities, rather than harmony with nature. Efficiencies of scale were found in mass-produced, industry-standard materials and construction methods, rather than the handcrafted methods used by Depression-era workforces. 1950s and 60s campgrounds resembled a bunch of bananas instead of the compound leaf. A set of banana-shaped loop roads grew from a main access road. Roads were wider and campsites were bigger, now providing up to 25 feet of parking for camping trailers. Camping pads were scaled up to 20 by 20 feet to receive a metal and precast concrete fire grate or barbecue grill a tubular metal and milled lumber picnic table, and a tent site. 
a 1950s-60s campground commonly offered 400 to 600 campsites in loops typically labeled with letters. Trails interlacing individual campsites were still prevalent, along with community campfire circles of native rock. Restrooms with flush toilets, shower houses, trash collection areas, water fountains, and dishwashing stations followed industry standard approaches in design, using mostly concrete. Vegetation screening campsites from each other was desirable, though less emphasized than it was in the 30s. Increased capacity for vehicles and people were greater priorities than seclusion from other campers. The consequences of the 1950s-60s campground design included mass visitation and campground use throughout the park system, galvanizing the experience of the annual family camping trip, available to a greater economic diversity of visitors. While racially segregated campgrounds no longer existed in the national parks, during the Mission 66 period, the park system grew by more than one-third, and visitation increased more than tenfold over pre-World War II levels. Campgrounds were more standardized and less unique to each locale, but more predictable and more comfortable. They were, and still are today, what we know as a National Park Service campground. The new National Park Service Second Century Campground Strategy is a public document And the campground history you've just heard comes mostly from its introduction. If you're looking for an extremely in-depth and technical overview of how campgrounds are designed, it's an interesting read. It's not a finalized document. The Park Service is looking for feedback as part of the public review process. I'll link to the pertinent information in the show notes in the description wherever you're listening to this episode if you want to comment. I've read through it myself, and rest assured, there's nothing eyebrow-raising inside. It's mostly good stuff. Future campgrounds will make more inclusive accommodations, accessible to users of varying abilities. The document declares that campground design, as relevant today as it was throughout the history of the National Park Service, remains rooted in resource protection and visitor enjoyment. As the National Park Service moves into a second century of campground use and design, Future development and modernization of campgrounds will maintain the fundamental underpinning components of a traditional campground while adapting to changing uses and technologies. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America Podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.